Good morning again. <laughs> it's so good to see you. We are in a study, if you are new with us, um, out of Matthew. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, as Frank read for us this morning, um, working our way through uh, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's all right. That was a mic stand. That wasn't me. <laughs> working our way through Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And if you are um, uh, new, a guest with us, again, we just want to uh, just welcome you, let you know how thankful we are that you're with us this morning, and, uh, but also just take an opportunity to, to sort of let you know that it's our practice here to work our way through um, books of the Bible or, or passages of the Bible, and so that's what we're doing right now. And if you have um, missed uh, the previous messages in this, you can go to our podcast, you can go to our website, citychurchmelissa.com, and you can catch up um, with us, because this morning we're going to be on our fourth beatitude. Uh, the beatitudes are the opening statements of Jesus, um, statements that declare Jesus used to describe what a Christian looks like, and ultimately, because of their faith in Christ as Christians, what it means to be supremely blessed. That's what the word beatitude means. It is the those who are supremely blessed are blessed because of who Jesus is in their lives, and he is using these statements as descriptors for us. We use the analogy last week or the picture of the, that as we walk through a museum, we see descriptors of various um, sort of uh, uh, displays. And as you walk through and you come to a new display, you'll read the plaque and it will tell you what you're looking at. It'll explain uh, what, you know, the history and the background. And so Jesus, in a sense, is using these statements to say, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. Jesus' first beatitude, his first message to us was a message of salvation, Saying that we are blessed when we are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs will be the kingdom of God. Come to the end of all your trying. Exhaust yourself. Get to the end of yourself. And believe in Jesus. At the, when, you, when you finally arrive at the end. If you put your faith in Jesus he says. Then you will be welcomed in as a citizen of the kingdom. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus' words there. When he's talking about being welcomed in as a citizen of the kingdom of God, it's not about what you do. It's actually removing yourself, getting to the end of yourself, emptying of yourself. It's not a finding your own holiness or doing enough religious activity or any of those things. It's ultimately, he says, when you come to total emptiness, poor in spirit, poverty of yourself, then you will turn to me and I will welcome you in. As a citizen of the eternal kingdom. From there he tells us that we will be blessed as citizens of the kingdom when we mourn and our sins. When we are mourn that we will be comforted in the mourning that he's describing there is this mourning of sinfulness. That we grieve the fact that we still are sinners. That we still struggle with sin. Again, this is a strange promise that he promises us that we will be comforted in that. The world tells us that when we sin we should receive judgment. Pain. Suffering, And Jesus says, grieve your sin, mourn over it, and I will comfort you. I will not condemn you. And so the outward result of this comfort and this new life that we have in Christ, when he turns to the, arrives at the third that we talked about last week, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What comes with a poverty of spirit and a, someone who grieves sin is a meekness, is a humility before God. A humility that acknowledges that we don't have it all together. That I'm not perfect. 
And so when your neighbor comes to you and tells you of your sins, tells you how you have wronged them, tells you of all the problems in your life, when your friend says that, when whoever it is, the accusations fly, which they often do in our life, our response is, you are right. Yes, all that you say is true. And by the way, probably much more that you don't know is true. And yet I've been received by God himself. And so the arrows fall and we have a meekness to us, a humility. And that's when you finally, as we talked about last week, the inward reality takes on an outward expression and it changes the way we live our lives. And so we're satisfied. And this is what Jesus meant when he says that you will inherit the earth. He is telling us that we and we already are, if we've received Christ, we are completely satisfied with exactly what he has given us. First, eternal life and the future hope that that brings. But even in this life, satisfaction in knowing that who we are, what we have, all of it is a gift from him. And so whatever the world gives us, I'm good because I know it's from Jesus. And I also know there's this future glory waiting for me. That will outshine anything this world might offer us. And so, as we arrive at this fourth beatitude, we now come to the place where Jesus tells us the source of ultimate satisfaction. Isn't that something that we're all chasing after? We want to be satisfied. And as he builds upon his statements, Jesus has taught us that the Christian is the one who humbles himself, who is made low by himself and thinks less of himself. He lets go of self-justification. That's what the first three statements are all about, is us getting over ourselves. And having done that, what he does now is after we've been empty, Jesus says, let me tell you how you will be filled. Let me tell you how you will be satisfied. What does it mean for the Christian to fill himself or herself? So the answers to the problems of our world and the problems that we deal with is not getting more. The answer is letting go and thirsting for something that you do not find naturally within. That's where we so often turn. It's the, in our nature that as we think of all the challenges and the problems and pain and things that we deal with, we, 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 we are tempted to believe that we can find the answer to those things from within. That's why we have those statements that we sort of picked on at the very beginning of this series where we say, follow your heart. <laughs> And the world tells us to follow our heart, but what we know is, no, I can't follow my own heart because my own heart will deceive me. It will lead me astray. I can't look for satisfaction from within. I need to look for satisfaction from something else, from somewhere else, from someone else. Think about who you know that doesn't want to be happy. Now, I know there's that one friend that we kind of think about that they seem to be a little bit unhappy on a regular basis. But by and large, most of us, most of everyone we know wants to be happy. There's this desire for happiness. Everyone wants to be, just enjoy life, to just get along. Can't we just all get along, it says? Can't everyone be happy? Everyone wants to have peace from the wars of life. And I'm not just talking about the global wars of nations, but even the wars that are within us, the wars and the challenges of the pain and the things that we deal with within our own lives. The problem is not that we don't desire the right thing. There's nothing wrong inherently with desiring happiness. Again, and we we, we want that. 
Our problem, the challenge that we have is that we do not know how to get it. And we stumble and stumble and plod along trying to find how we can find happiness. Because we wrongly think we can find it within ourselves. We think we can find happiness within our giftedness, our abilities, from our work, from our relationships, from the things that we do, from our pastimes. And even though every single one of us, again, on the grand scale, wants to be happy, what do we see when we look around the world? Just think about the, the, the craziness of this idea. We don't know anyone that wouldn't want to be happy, doesn't desire happiness, doesn't desire those things. And yet, when we look around the world, there is a great, vast, cavernous cave of unhappiness. All that we see around us, brokenness, frustration. In our current day, anger abounds. We all want this. And yet what we see most often is the exact opposite of this, unhappiness. We see, we see unhappy people from the individual level, again as individuals, but also to a national, global, people group level. We just see war raging around us. So if everyone wants to be happy, and that's the desire of everyone's heart, and yet everyone is unhappy, why, where is the gap? What is the problem? The problem is what Jesus said was true. We can't find it within. And that is where we too often turn. This is where, by the way, gospel rubber meets the road. When the world tells us and what we understand that the world needs is what the world needs is not more people who want to be happy. We have plenty of those. What the world needs is more Christians. What the world needs is more people who are poor in spirit, have emptied themselves, who mourn their sin and are comforted by Christ alone, who are humble in their meekness and receive from Jesus. Because a Christian isn't seeking happiness. For a Christian, what we're after is righteousness. Our desire is righteousness. And the result of people who desire righteousness is peace. And it's a peace that Jesus describes as ultimate blessedness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be supremely blessed, will be the ultimate definition of happy. Happiness is, uh, we often talk about, is a temporal feeling. It's an emotion. But the result, happiness is a result of, and the lasting result of happiness is satisfaction in Christ, is his blessing over our lives. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he is telling us that as we look for supreme blessedness, as we look for lasting happiness, the way, where we find that, is when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Imagine for a moment a patient in a medical setting who's in great pain. And he or she wants relief from the pain that, that he is dealing with. He's laying in the bed and so the doctor comes in and prescribes some drugs. 
gives prescriptions to deal with the pain, to eliminate the man's suffering. Now, if he just walked in, asked where there was pain, my elbow hurts, my stomach hurts, this or that, and the doctor prescribes something to eliminate the pain, we would not think too highly of that doctor. Because pain is a good thing. Pain tells us that something is wrong. That's why there's the people, it's fearful when you lose your sense of touch. Because you don't know that the oven is hot any longer and you won't be protected from that pain. Pain tells us that something is broken. And because we desire to be freed from pain, we try to do all that we can to insulate ourselves from it. But the good doctor is not the one who eliminates the pain, but the one who finds the source of the pain. He doesn't just treat the symptom. He doesn't just look at what is uh, you feel. No, he looks at the, the actual source of the sickness. And while we can temporarily mask a symptom, we could be dying all the way through with masked symptoms. See, the gospel is the cure For the source of the true illness. Sin is the source of true illness. And the gospel comes to bring healing to it. And and Jesus doesn't offer us just temporary masking of a symptom. Or just removal of the pain. He offers us an eternal and a forever promise of complete healing. And so we must realize that the gift of God. Which shows up as happiness or blessedness is ultimately not the thing to be chased after. We're not trying to get free from the symptoms. We're not trying to be protected from just not having any more pain. No, what we want, the thing that is to be chased after, is Jesus himself. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, guess what happens? In the Lord's kindness, we receive the good gifts Of happiness and blessedness along the way. We receive these things as gifts. The Bible says, do you not know that your father in heaven is even much more than the father on earth? And as a dad on earth, you know, I've talked about this. I love to shower my children with gifts. And we all as parents, we want to encourage our kids. We like to love them and take care of them. And the Bible says that don't we know that our father in heaven loves to shower us even all the more with those gifts? Of course he does. He's the ultimate giver of good things. But the doctor that can free me of pain... Guess what? That doctor is a dime a dozen. Just prescribe some medication and it'll go away. The doctor that can heal my illness is the truly good doctor. And he gives freedom from the pain that caused my illness. And so God, as the good father, gives us himself, gives us Christ. And Jesus promises us that if we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled with blessedness. We will be filled with happiness. We will find true and lasting happiness. So what is this righteousness that we are to seek after? What does righteousness mean? What, what, what is it? Well, first of all, righteousness is not general morality. That's what, again, the world has to offer. There's general goodness. We see that. We see the gifts of the Father sort of just playing themselves out in the world. And when Jesus says that we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's not simply speaking of just having good morals. 
This isn't Aesop's fables that we're reading here. This is God's word, the God himself speaking about the solution to the deepest problem of mankind. Jesus is telling us that hungering and thirsting for righteousness is to be freed from the weight of sin. And the ongoing struggle that sin produces. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to lay aside the weight of sin. To let it go. Well, how do we do that? It's righteousness that we hunger for. And it's righteousness that justifies us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But it is also a righteousness that frees us from the entanglements of sin. So when Jesus says to hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's telling us, hunger and thirst for me because I will free you from the bondage of sin. But I will also free you from a life that is seeking after sin constantly. See, we know, as we talked about before, when we opened up as speaking of blessed are those who mourn that second beatitude, the grieving of sin. We know that sin is our ultimate problem. Hungering for righteousness is ultimately to hunger for right relationship with God because sin impedes that relationship. Right relationship with God. You and I, I cannot have a right relationship with God when there's sin in the way. Sin has to be dealt with. It has to be cured. It has to be cleansed. And it's only when we're freed from the wages of sin that we can be right with God. So that has to come first, being right with God. But we also know that there's this ongoing battle with sin. As Christians, what does Jesus define us as? Those who mourn, who have been emptied of themselves... We have, we have a desire to be freed from the plague of sin and the plague that it brings to our life, to be freed from that power. And this is where hungering and thirsting for righteousness goes so much deeper. See, most people do not see their own sin as sin. Now, it's very easy for us to see other people's sin as sin because those things hurt us. Those things, when other people sin against us, we get angry. We want to push back. For, for, for us to see our own sin, that's a little bit more challenging. It takes the work of God. And so, because we can't see our own sinfulness, our eyes are not often open to it. God moves in our lives. If he's gracious to us, he moves in our lives. And we begin to see our sin. We become aware of our sinfulness. It's like we are awakened to the reality. But... The reality is that our sin nature is so deep that even when we see our sin, even as I can acknowledge my sin before you and can tell you of that, I might realize it, but it takes even much more work to be rid of it because guess what? I like my sin. I enjoy it. And so it's not enough to just want to be rid of sin because that won't happen. There is, of course, we know shame and hurt and those things that come along. But ultimately, when we're really honest with ourselves, the reason that we struggle so greatly against sin is because we enjoy it. And so to hunger for righteousness 
is the hunger for a freedom, not just from sin, but from the desire and the entanglements and the joy that comes along with sin because we are so satisfied in God himself. This is the counter. When we hunger for righteousness, we no longer enjoy sin. We no longer enjoy the sinfulness of our lives because we are so entranced and in love and in worship of God himself. That's why Jesus could say, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. You know, when a house catches fire, there can be a small portion of the house that would ultimately be destroyed by the fire. The, only a small portion, a, one room or one wing of a house might burn. But smoke moves through the house and it destroys everything. A, a, a house will be considered totaled, whatever that might look like in insurance terms for a home. Because of the smoke that gets through. And this is like sin. Our desire for sin, our enjoyment for sin, it's, it's work in our minds. It might have one small manifestation that is actually visible to us or to the world, but the entanglements of it spread throughout our lives and they destroy the entirety of our lives. And then God comes in and he reveals our sin to us. And what Jesus says to us here today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is for the, a desire for the entire house to be cleansed. So, we've looked at what it means to, or what righteousness is in a sense of what the, the negative aspect of it. It's to repel against sin. It's to desire God so much that we would push back against sin. And, to, it's in, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness is in opposition to these things. But in a positive sense, what is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you might ask? Well, the negative is to be freed from sin. The positive is to be like Christ. If the negative is to a desire to be set free and to let go of all the entanglements of sin, the positive view of that is a desire to follow Jesus, a desire to look like Jesus, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is ultimately a desire to be holy as Christ is holy. Jesus is ultimately holy. And let's just look at the way he lives his life. Look at what we know of Jesus from the Gospels. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's completely bent to the will of the Father. Complete and total obedience to what God the Father says. How does he treat his enemies? He doesn't go to war against them. He doesn't declare them as evil. He is gracious to them. He loves the unlovable. He is humble. All of these things describe the man, the God-man, Jesus. And so to hunger for righteousness it is, is a desire to be like Christ. To look like Him. As we go out into the world, for the world to see us and to say, He or she Looks like Jesus. When I'm with him, I feel as if he's treating me, she's treating me as if Jesus might treat me. To follow him in all these things. This is what it means to chase after righteousness. And when we chase after righteousness, as we have said, all of the blessings follow. We don't chase after the blessings, we chase after 
Him. We pursue Him. And when we receive Him, when we are made to look like Him, then all of the blessings flow. So, we have looked at what it means to, to, as far as we consider the word righteousness. But let's back up. We sort of skipped over. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? First of all, it means that we cannot find it within. We've talked about each week how Jesus spoke these statements, gave these beatitudes in order. And the first three are in an order that talk about, essentially describe getting to the end of yourself. Realizing that you cannot find something within. When we hunger for something or when we thirst, we are looking for something that can't, we don't have within ourselves. It's a little bit early right now, but you might be beginning to be getting hungry. There might be a little bit of some pain, especially you younger ones rumbling in your stomachs thinking, I might need a donut or some lunch or some sort of a snack. And you know that that hunger, that pain that you're feeling right now is not going to go away until you fill your stomach with something. Well, if we are to be poor in spirit, to be emptied of ourselves, if we're to grieve our sin and to let go of trying to solve that problem on our own, we know that we have to look for something outside of ourselves. We have to, to hunger and thirst. means that there is a searching. There's a desire for something that we can't find. But we can find it in Christ. So to hunger for it, to thirst means that we would suffer, that we would endure, that we would have pain as we move forward, as we plod along trying to achieve and find righteousness. Do you find your desire, the, the work, the, the amount of uh, just energy that you put forth in pursuing Christ-likeness and following Christ, would it be described as hungering and thirsting for it? Or is it more like coming to the buffet? And you're so full with the world that you just sort of look around. Hey, I might take this little scrap. I think I'll have this cracker, this little piece of cheese. Because I'm so filled with everything else around me. I really have nothing else to be filled with. I don't desire much else. Jesus says that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. Think about that position that you've interviewed for. That job that you desire to obtain. Think about what happens in your mind when you begin to envision yourself in this new job or in this new career or whatever situation that might be similar to that. You dream about it. You think about it all the time. You, you might work for it. You sacrifice. You get training. You go to all sorts of energy. You spend so much time thinking about, I want to achieve this position. I want to be hired for this role. I want to get that promotion. Now contrast that to our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of following after Jesus, of looking for Jesus. What I just described is hungering and thirsting for something. We hunger and thirst for that position, for that role, for that job, for that raise. And yet when we look at our lives, does that describe the way that we pursue looking like Christ? The psalmist said it, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. 
Do we think of our desire pursuing Christ, following Christ in those terms? Here's what it might look like practically for us. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, where will we find that? Again, we know now what righteousness looks like. We know the benefits of righteousness. What does it look like to hunger and thirst for that? Do we spend time with Jesus? Is our, is our calendar, is our daily schedule built around pursuit, hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Here's what I can promise you. Between 11.30 and 11.45, a 15-minute window, I will eat lunch every single day of my life. Barring some radical need for one of you to have a later lunch, which will induce me to eat a snack, I will have lunch at 11.30 or 11.45. My day is built around that. If you ask me for lunch and say, hey, let's go have a meal, I will suggest 11.30 or 11.45. And only when you push back a little bit might I go a little later or a little earlier. Now imagine our schedule, our lives being built around hungering and thirsting for Christ in that way. Again, we alluded to it last week when we talked about the humbleness and the meekness and, and, and as we pursue Christ, receiving from Him, that sometimes we might look a little bit differently to the world. And I joked about some of my friends who get up at ridiculous hours of the morning to be strong in some way physically. And I, I admire them for it in all their strangeness, but their, their schedules are built around that. Because there's a hunger and a thirst, a desire for health, for strength, for whatever it might be. The physical benefits. Think about our lives and how much we hunger and thirst to be like Jesus. Do our daily schedules reflect time with Christ? Time in His Word. Friends, open your Bibles. If you don't know where to begin, let me encourage you, go to the book of John and just start there. Read about Jesus' life. See what he did, how he lived his life, and say, I want to be like him. Think about the things that he did as you read, and even if it seems a little bit strange and doesn't always make as much sense to you, call a friend and ask, what was Jesus doing when he did this? Call me. I've given you my text, my email, my cell phone at all. You can call anyone, a friend that you trust. And say, what does it look like to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus? Spend time in prayer. Tonight we will gather, by the way, for the first time we're going to have outdoor prayer service. Just have joy in that idea alone. But we're going to get to gather on the steps of our property here for prayer at 5 o'clock this evening. Come together and pray with the body of Christ. Seek after the Lord. Privately, in your own time, pray and ask God to show himself to you. Does, does, your, does your day built around times of prayer? Gathering with the saints. Thankfully, we have set times where we do gather on Sunday mornings. Is this week, you're all here, so you're doing well. Is this a part of your weekly routine to gather with the saints? This is what it looks like to hunger and thirst. A desire that we know we can't find it within ourselves. So we look outwardly to Jesus. To be like Him. 
And we are willing to sacrifice just as we have hunger pains. We will endure pain to follow him, to to be made to look like him. And the promise of Jesus is a beautiful promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Back to where we began. We're all looking to be satisfied, right? We want happiness. We just want to have satisfaction in this life. Jesus promises us that we will be satisfied when we look to him, when we pursue him, when we desire him above all else. Let me just challenge you with this, friends. Perhaps you've tried every single thing else that the world has to offer. Why not give Jesus the same at bat? Turn to him. See what he says. See what he does. See how he delivers. Is his word true? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He promises us that we will be satisfied when our desire is for him, when we chase after him, when he is our ultimate pursuit. And I believe that so many of us have turned away from Jesus or just sort of think of Jesus as a little bit of like Parmesan to our spaghetti because we have not looked to him and him alone to be completely and totally satisfied. And why would we not take Jesus at his word? He's promised us that if we are emptied of ourselves, that we'll be in citizens of his kingdom, that when we grieve our sins, we will be comforted, that in our humility, we will inherit and receive all of the earth. And now he says, if you desire righteousness, you will be satisfied and the righteousness that I bring to you will set you free from sin and all of its entanglements. Trust him at his word. Take him at his word. He says, you will be satisfied. You've tried satisfaction in every other place. Would you look to Jesus and be satisfied in him alone? Let's pray and ask for help to that end. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in the midst of Acknowledging my own sinfulness and how often my heart is not directed towards you. You promise me that if I would hunger and thirst, if I would chase after righteousness, holiness, being made to look like you. Above all else, that I will be satisfied. I thank you that I found that promise to be true in my own life. I pray for my friends in this room that they would know what it means to receive or to to benefit from ultimate satisfaction. A satisfaction that comes from you alone. Help us, Lord Jesus, to lay aside the desire for temporal happiness and to the, just the pursuit of the things of this world. And would you fill us with the desire for you? Would you help everyone in this room to taste and see that the Lord is good? 
would you fulfill your promise to each of us as we hunger and thirst to be like you, Jesus? Would you satisfy us with yourself? Would you fill us up more fully than the world could ever fill us? More lastingly than the world could ever fill us? Would you help us to be satisfied in you alone? We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Once again, it's been so great to be with you this morning as we um, close our time together. I do want to uh, just remind you of uh, a few things. I just mentioned that our prayer service, we're beginning back our uh, monthly gathering for prayer. So this evening at five o'clock, we'll have elder led prayer. And if you haven't been with us, that's not a time of teaching. It is simply praying. Um, some singing Matt will lead us. And um, we just want to just invite you to be a part of that. Uh, put that on your calendars. Um, the fourth Sunday of every month, excuse me, second Sunday of every month. I don't know what day of the month I'm in. Second Sunday of every month is our, uh, our, uh, our monthly prayer at 5 p.m. And we're again, because of uh, the nice weather, we're going to get to do that outside this evening. So it'll be just a beautiful evening together. Additionally, I want to make you aware of something called Reengage. It's our marriage ministry, and they're going to be having an open group. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. And um, it's a great way, if you, no matter where you're at in your marriage, whether you are new in your marriage, whether you're kind of struggling in your marriage, whether um, you just want to just spend some time together as a couple, just have sort of a regular date night. Re-engage is a great place to do that. You'll be uh, put together in small groups. And so uh, September 20th is our next open group. And an open group is you just show up once, kind of get to see what re-engage is like and participate in that. And so um, join us uh, for that as well. Um, If I haven't a chance again to meet you, I'd love an opportunity to do so. Just if I can pray with you, encourage you in any way, I'll stay up front here. I'll put on a mask and would love to do that. Um, If not, Uh, We will see you again, hopefully this evening, um, and then back again next Sunday. Have a great week. God bless. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa. For the glory of God and the good of the city.